we are. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Let me get my screen adjusted. There we are. I hope everybody's having a fabulous day. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, Henry. It's good to see you again, my friend. If anybody else is out there, holler at me. Shout. I've been getting some really good feedback from some friends of mine. And uh, I am very, very, very pleased. Uh, one of my friends is a Messianic Jew. And he is someone that I would consider an incredible resource. And when he has time, I love to talk with him about this kind of stuff. So he's been uh, messaging me back and forth. And so, in fact, he probably, I think he has a correction for me in some of this. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him on that. I, just as a reminder to people, this isn't Paige being a Bible teacher. I don't think I've got anything earth-shattering to bring to the table in understanding the Bible. I don't think that I have any particularly huge podium that I'm standing on trumpeting the truth to the nations. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with being accountable in such a way that it brings me to the Word every day. I started in July, and we've gone through several. Uh, I've gone through First, Second, Third John, First and Second Peter, Second Timothy, James, Gospel of John, and now I'm in the the Book of Acts. And my sole purpose was to practice, find a way to practice what Psalms one says. Where Psalms 1 says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, in which he meditates day and night. The word meditate means, one of the meanings for the word meditate means to talk to yourself about something, to mutter to yourself. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. That's where I come up with my phrase, I'm thinking with my mouth open. I've decided I was going to just go through these passages of scripture and just enjoy taking a dip in the word of God, if you will, just to enjoy my time with no pressure, but just to read it and talk about my initial impressions and see if God has some stuff to show me. And he has not disappointed. So having said that, let's get started. We're in Acts chapter 11. This is what's getting really close to Paul coming back into the picture. I'm pretty excited about that because Paul is a particular hero of mine. But today, Peter is center and front stage, front and center in the stage. Did I say that right? Peter is at stage center. Anyway, hey, we're going to talk about Peter. Let's do that. Acts 11, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, I highlighted that because most people have no idea what a huge headline this is. I'm going to read it again. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 
So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, now these weren't the Judaizers. Judaizers were those Jews that wanted, in order for Gentiles to be accepted into their faith, they had to become Jews, culturally. Circumcision, everything, obey the law, everything. But these weren't, these were just circumcised believers. They criticized Peter and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. All right, here's the first thought that came to my mind. Peter is one of the original 12, one of the inner three. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. They experienced and saw things that none of the other disciples experienced and saw. They were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was one of the inner circle. And the first thought that came to my mind was, who are these people to criticize one of the original disciples or apostles? Who are they to criticize Peter? I don't have an answer for that. But that's just, I, I was mildly insulted that they would launch themselves at Peter. Who are you? You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Hmm. Who are those? So I was mildly insulted. Now I can't, I can't tell you who those people were, but that was just my first impression. And this is me thinking with my mouth open, so I'm allowed. But there's something else going on here. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had heard that received the word of God. This would have been hard to handle for many of the Jewish believers in Jesus and Jewish people in general. And this would probably be the place where the way, which is what faith in Jesus was called in the beginning, started to diverge in a major way from Judaism because this was a wholesale conversion of Gentiles. And they weren't told to be circumcised. They weren't told to become culturally Jewish. They received the word of God. They had the Holy Spirit fall on them. Up until this point, this movement was primarily a Jewish movement. And so it was a given. You know, you're, this is a Jewish thing. And just like there was room for proselytes in Judaism, I'm sure that they say, well, yeah, you can be, you can, Gentiles can be part of this, but you got to become Jewish first. That was the Judaistic, Judaizer approach to things. But that would also be the generally accepted thought. Plus, there's the fact that Israel existed only at the pleasure of Rome. They were under the thumb of Rome. They were under the thumb of Gentiles. There was just an automatic distrust of anything Gentile. There was an automatic disdain for almost anything Gentile. And they even had rules about mixing with Gentiles. They said here, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, Gentiles, and you ate with them. There's that attitude that's existing, and that was existing in the early beginning of the early church. I can't equate it to anything, but the closest I can come to it would be, hmm, 
when I was a young man, young child, I should say, uh, our family lived in Fairbanks, Alaska. Now, my dad had moved there from the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska, and we were a poor family. We didn't have a lot of Well, I don't think we had almost any money. And the only house we could afford to live in was right in the middle of a black neighborhood on the east side of Fairbanks. Now, this is in the 60s, and Alaska had its problems with race, just like everybody else was having. And Fairbanks was split up pretty evenly between the white side of town and the black side of town. We lived in the only house we could afford, and it was on the black side of town. But my dad was a very unusual man in those days. Uh, he was an ex-professional athlete, big man, strong man, confident man. But his only requisite for trust was, are you good for your word? Is your handshake good? If, if you shook on a deal, did you keep the deal? That was his judgment of a man. Could you trust him? And it had nothing, he, he was, he didn't make his decisions based on people's skin color. It, it was, again, it was very, very strange back then. Well, we had been living in, my dad told the story because obviously I was too young to remember it. But my dad told me the story that soon after moving into the neighborhood, our next door neighbor, Ray, who was even bigger than dad, if you could believe that, came to him one day and said, Paul, I want you to take a ride with me. So dad said, all right. So they get in the car and they take a ride and they go deeper into the east side and they go to a bar. And dad said, told me when he was telling me the story, he says, son, I've never been more afraid than I was at that moment. I said, why? He said, I walked into that bar. I was the smallest and thing in that bar and I was the only white man in that bar. I walked in, they yanked the cord on the jukebox and people who were shooting pool stopped and leaned on the pool cues and watched this white man walk across the floor to the bar with Ray. We get to the bar. He said, I started to pull out my wallet. I was gonna buy a drink for Ray and Ray said, no, Paul, your money's no good here. Ray invited the bartender over. Bartender came over, and I can't remember his name, but I'll call him John. And he says, John, this is my neighbor. His name is Paul. He's a good man, and he's a friend of mine. And John and my dad shook hands. They had a beer, and dad left with Ray. Get outside the bar. Ray said, dad looked at Ray and says, Ray, what was that all about? And Ray told him, he said, you just met the man. He's a crime lord for the east side. You're not going to have any problems. And we lived in that neighborhood for another three or four years, and we never had any problems. I played with black kids up until third grade. We never had any problems. My dad was accepted. But when he walked into that bar, he was immediately, immediately, the focal point of distrust, anger maybe, because it wasn't it wasn't nice between black people and white people in the 60s in a lot of places. But that when dad walked out of that bar, he was okay. Kind of what happened here. I don't think it's as big a thing as this is here in Acts, but Gentiles were viewed with suspicion. Gentiles were uh, 
the source of many of the grievances that Israel had. So the fact that a room full of Gentiles would be welcomed into the body, oh my goodness, this was huge. And so the, the Jewish believers say, you went into some uncircumcised people's house and ate with them. Well, Peter gives his answer. And basically he just tells a story of what we read before. He says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, birds. And I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has entered, ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation in going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. All right. That's an important statement. He's being promised entrance into the body of Christ, which up until this moment was considered to be a primarily Jewish thing. And now Cornelius has been promised that he will be saved. Sent for Peter. And as I began to speak, he never even finished his sermon, folks. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning in chapter 2. Then I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if the same thing was happening to them that happened to Peter and them in the upper room, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Now, this is a really neat statement. When they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That statement contains in it some racial angst, even to Gentiles? God's granted repentance that leads to life? My dad, going into that bar with Ray, the black men standing around said, wait a minute, a white man can come in here? That is huge, what is just happened here in verse 18. You mean even Gentiles? Even Gentiles? can be granted repentance that leads to life. Whew. That's a huge thing. Now, those who had been scattered by persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews because it was primarily a Jewish thing. They wouldn't be used to dealing and speaking with Gentiles so naturally, they would go to the people 
that they felt comfortable with or being around, which would be their own Jewish religious people. They only spoke to the Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Well, now it's happened at Cornelius' household, and now we're in Antioch. Oh, my goodness. Peter was called to the Gentiles. He didn't go looking for them. Peter was called to them, and God moved. These people initiated the contact with the Gentiles. They on purpose went to the Gentiles to speak the word of God. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed her in the Lord. Now we had people, Cornelius' household, and now we have a citywide thing happening in Antioch. Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. Now news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now remember, Barnabas is the one who stood up for Saul of Tarsus when Saul was converted. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. He must, Barnabas must have been somebody important. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I don't see any other instruction right here right now. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Imagine he started teaching them from the scriptures. Uh, but it doesn't say, it's kind of hinted at. But he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. It doesn't say he was sent to Tarsus to look for Saul. It just says he went. Now, doesn't mean the other apostles didn't send him for Saul. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. For some reason, I don't know why, except obviously the Holy Spirit led him. And when he found him, uh, this is another thing. And when he found him, it kind of means, in my mind, I'm looking, he actually went looking and had to look a bit. Saul went from being a rock star in Jerusalem, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a disciple of Gamaliel, one of the greatest rabbis of all time. And if you remember the story, he started preaching right away, gotten, and they had to sneak him out of Damascus. He went to Jerusalem, started preaching. They had to sneak him out of Jerusalem before he got killed. And then he goes off to uh, Tarsus. And he kind of like drifts into the background. This rock star fades away. It says here, Barnabas, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Didn't know where he was. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. All right, this is where the name Christian started to be applied. I was reading elsewhere where that was a term of derision. Uh, but it was also became, it became a title that we embraced and really, it's at this point where the church really, really, in a wholesale way, started moving away from Judaism. Because like I said, in Judaism, 
if you became, if you culturally, if you were a Gentile, you could culturally embrace Judaism, become circumcised, embrace the culture of, of Israel, and you could become a proselyte. Here, the disciples began to see that God's Holy Spirit was falling on Gentiles without requiring them to become proselytes. A whole different thing was happening. And Saul and Barnabas taught great numbers of people for a year. Now, I can probably see why Barnabas would want to go get Saul. Saul was very learned. He probably, he knew the law and the Torah like nobody else. And that's the only reference these people had in the first century, at least right now. They didn't have the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. In fact, the first letter ever written in the New Testament, the letter of James, it's going to be coming up in a couple chapters, but all they had was Torah. They had the law and the prophets. And so Paul had to acquaint a people with the scripture that they had never embraced before. Jewish boys growing up, Jewish children, grew up learning Torah. And in fact, would have to memorize huge portions of it. Even these fishermen from Galilee, they knew Torah. They knew the Torah. They were they grew up with it in the synagogues. Every Jewish boy had to go through this schooling. So there was a familiarity with the Torah. And then when Jesus came into their lives, it just exploded it with meaning. Well, here, the process is backwards. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They're saved, but they don't know the Torah. So G Paul, Saul, and Barnabas spent a whole year pushing the scripture into these people's lives. Wow. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is amazing. This is the dividing point. This is where the church, I, in my mind's eye, veers away from Judaism. There's still connections. And the source of their faith comes from Judaism. But it's becoming something so different that the Jewish world, Jewish religious world, can't accept it as part of their own. Prior to this, even though they crucified Jesus, he was still a Jew. And the disciples were Jewish. So this could be a, a considered a, a fractious uh, segment of Judaism. Looking at it from a certain point of view. But it, was, it could still be considered part, just a, a, uh, a movement within the Jewish faith. And they'd had their movements before. They came and they went, and this could prob was probably another one of them. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts falling on Gentiles. And the church growth starts being centered in the Gentile world. Cornelius showed that it could be done. And now in Antioch, there's a, basically a city-wide movement. Great numbers of people, Gentile people, were being added to the church. This was a huge moment.
So, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Well, this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I wonder who the elders were. I don't know if the elders were the apostles that were remaining there or if there was another group of elder statesmen. I haven't figured out. I, I, I don't think there was an, an office of elders yet. That would come later. Uh, you, know, you see that in Paul's teaching where he lays it all out, and I think in Ephesians and Corinthians. But my sense is the elders would be the leaders in Jerusalem, which would include James, the apostle, and uh, maybe John, and the other apostles that were there. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So now Barnabas and Saul stay there for a year. There's this prophetic utterance by Agabus. He shows up later, by the way, and who predicts that there's going to be a severe famine. So they take up an offering of money and they bring it to the elders in Jerusalem so that they could distribute it during this upcoming famine for the believers and families that we need it. Here's a thought that I'd like to inject right about here. Um, we had what was formerly a mostly Jewish movement, and now there's wholesale movement of Gentiles into this world, into this way. And I don't think it was lost on the Jewish believers in Jerusalem and Judea that a Gentile branch of the church sent them an offering to take care of their people when this famine was going to take place. I think that was a brilliant move. All right. Man, I love me some Book of Acts. Uh, some other time, we'll, we'll get to discussing... Uh, Paul's time at Tarsus when he was out of sight, out of mind. Um, there's some very cool thoughts on that, but I'm running out of time right now, so I'm going to hit the bricks. Excellent time in the scripture today. Thank you for joining me as I think with my mouth open. Here's my coffee. I'm Mr. G, and I, dear folks, am out of here. Bye-bye.